Morning class, how are you? So good to see you all. Glad you're here. Uh, we have some issues with the outlines. I just wanted to uh, let you know that the outline that they have given you from this week is the same outline from last week. We were continuing. It's part two. So if you have an outline uh, from last week and you can give this one up, why don't you raise your hand because we need a few outlines. Thank you very much. I appreciate your, uh, your cooperation here. I always try to figure out exactly how many outlines I want the church to print up, and I, I try to save the money, and I guess sometimes I, under, I underbid. Um, also, uh, you know, my Monday morning Bible study that meets at 3705 Westview Drive. Uh, tomorrow morning I will not be there, but I have a... Uh, wonderful substitute by the name of Chip Ingram. <laughs> Somebody said, How the arrogance of you, that you would get Chip Ingram as your substitute? No, it didn't happen that way. Uh, about six months ago, uh, Chip and I spoke, and, and uh, we agreed this would be the day that he would be there tomorrow, not knowing that I couldn't be there, but God knew it. So amazingly, Chip will be there, and you know, he speaks to about 1.5 million people a week. And so he'll be there, and uh, he's going to continue the lesson on submission uh, that I've been on for the last couple of weeks. So I hope you'll have a chance to come and be a part of that, men. Uh, 7.30 tomorrow morning. 7.30? No, unfortunately, we're working on that, Annette. But the good news is that you can see these Bible studies. They are videotaped now. And so if you go to uh, our website, Garippa foundation.org, my name, foundation right after it. You can see all these lessons. So uh, gals, you can actually do this, and I know that there are a group of women from the early class that are having a Bible study around the video. So I would say that that's something that I would recommend you to take a look at as well, hopefully. Yes, and if you look at the prayer list, you'll be able to see the designation for the uh, website. You'll be able to see that. Also pray that starting next Saturday morning, somewhere between 8 and 10, I don't know yet. When I find out, I'll let you know and we'll send out an email. Um, uh, Kingdom FM 91.5 will begin broadcasting those Bible studies. They will be on, so you will hear them on Saturday morning. Uh, there will be an hour slot. I don't know if it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, or 10 o'clock, but it will be on Saturday morning. Uh, and they will be broadcast for an hour slot. Yes, sister. 11 o'clock? Okay, thank you. There it is. It's going to be on 11 o'clock, so I guess they just did that. 11 o'clock Saturday morning. You can listen to what's going on in the men's group on uh, Monday mornings. And so that we are in a study uh, entitled Submission. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So that's 91.5 uh, FM, Kingdom FM. And uh, again, this is an example. I'm, I'm teaching on submission. And really and truly, submission has been the lesson that God has been teaching me uh, the last several years in every aspect of my life. Uh, for example, uh, you know, when I started the men's Bible study, I just, God put it on my heart that I had to do it. Had to do it. I didn't understand it. I had never really taught before. But God really laid that on my heart. And so we, I started at, the, at my home with five guys. Three of them were my friends. 
They were unhappy to have to come, but they couldn't say no to their friend. <laughs> One of them said, oh, afterward he said to me, he said, when you said Bible study, I went, oh, oh, was he kidding me? Oh, how can I get out of this? All right, I'll go for like two weeks, and then I'll say I'm tied up. Well, he, it's five and a half years later, he's still there. All right, and he's, he's on fire for God, on fire for God. Uh, and it grew, it grew to five, to 10, to 15, to 30, to 40, to 50. It got so big that the cars were, were covering the street, and I was afraid I was going to turn off my neighbors. And again, the old John would have been looking at the real estate columns. Where am I going to take this? Let me call in consultants. Let me get the, but the, but the John that God has grinded down said, this is your Bible study. You, you, you let me know where you want me to take it. You find the place. And lo and behold, one of the men offered their office building. And that's where it went. And then it was in there for another 18 months. And again, it got to be over 100. And I said again, they kept saying to me, what are you going to do? I mean, what are we going to do? The, the building is now rented up. We're going to have to leave. And I said, it's God's Bible study. I'm not going to lose my mind over trying to find a place. I'm going to submit to God. God, and I just prayed, you find a place. Well, we're lucky we have about four or five pastors that come to this, uh, which is very humbling personally to me. And one of them said to me, why don't you come and, on the campus of our church, which is just two blocks away? It was a perfect place. It was an old industrial building, which I just love being in, in an industrial building. It doesn't look anything like what you would normally expect, but it's where God is. And now we have 130 guys, 130 people uh, who are just, you know, hungry to, to uh, seek the Lord. And then part of the people that were coming was the owner of the radio station. He came. And I really hadn't known him, although I had substituted in his BLG class about two or three years ago. Uh, and after coming, he said, I really believe that people in Naples need to hear this. And so he's broadcasting it. I didn't ask him. I didn't seek him. I didn't promote it. I didn't market it. I didn't do anything. I did nothing because I believe God wants me to submit. And that's the lesson. That's the lesson that we have to learn. That's really the lesson from Genesis that takes you right through when you see what happens when you don't submit with Adam and Eve. You don't, you see that. And with Abraham and Isaac, submission. And you understand that lesson. And then you see Jacob when, when we try to go our own way and do our own things. So you understand the lesson of submission in every aspect of our life through the Bible. And so uh, this is what's going on. So uh, I'm just giving it up to him. He's in charge. I just happen to be uh, the temporary mouthpiece. And that's the key, temporary. None of us ever knows for sure how long an anointing stays on you. You better be humble. You better keep your face in the dirt. Uh, and that's truly the, the lesson for me. So pray for that. Pray that there are people that come to the Lord that'll, that'll be touched by this, by this effort. Uh, and listen to it. And uh, uh, hopefully it'll, it'll uh, be a way to continue to expand the gospel. And now, you know, we are here in the second part of this lesson about forgiveness guaranteed, where Jesus speaks to us about how he expects us to live our lives. If we want to be forgiven, God is telling us in the Lord's Prayer, we have to forgive others. We have to forgive others. And so uh, I'm going to go back a little bit so that I tie it up in case you weren't here last week. 
spend a few minutes on, on where we were and then go forward. Turn with me to Matthew chapter uh, 6. Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is speaking to us here. Um, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have, have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Underline that last part. And I told you I had a godly man who said to me, I can't make this prayer. I can't make this prayer. The thought of me praying to God, God, don't forgive me based on the fact that I can't forgive people. I can't make that prayer because I'm weak. I'm a human being. I got flesh. Every day there are people coming in my radar that are doing something to me, that are upsetting to me, and I find it so difficult. And, and I can understand exactly what that is living in Naples these last couple of weeks. How many of you are driving your car around and say, I think I want to keep it in the garage? <laughs> I can't take the car out. How many temptations? This week, Saturday morning, yesterday morning, we go to the farmer's market. How innocent and beautiful can the farmer's market be? What could possibly happen in the farmer's market? We're there. My sister's in visiting with us, her husband. We meet early, 8 o'clock in the morning. What could go wrong at 8 o'clock in the morning? Well, it's crowded. And so as I'm moving my car around the crowded parking lot, and I'm trying to move into another lane, and the car is turned into the lane, I see a guy, very angry man, coming the other way, and now he's lowering his window to speak to me. So, oh, I, he has something to say to me. So I, I lower my window so I can get the full benefit of what he wants to say. And he proceeds to curse me out. Curse me out because I had the effrontery of turning into a parking lane and not putting my blinker on, see? I didn't realize that I needed a blinker in a, you know, a spot on a parking lot when the car was already halfway into the turn. And he cursed me out. Here it is, 8 o'clock, Saturday morning, and I'm being cursed out. Now, luckily, I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. And all I did was call him an ignoramus. <laughs> You're an ignoramus, all right? And, and I kept moving because the old John would have called him an ignoramus, put the car in park, and then got out of the car so we could have a more impersonal conversation. <laughs> but you see, as a result of these lessons in prayer, and you understand this thing, this is how you're supposed to act, you see? It doesn't change you overnight. You still have your same personality. I still have the personality where I want to put the car in park and go over and talk to him. But you understand all this stuff is on your mind and you understand how God wants you to act. This is what this is about. That's why Jesus made this prayer. You think this is an accident? You think Jesus just said this is a good prayer? Just say this, you know, forgive me as I forgive others. This was all planned. This is all planned. And another example, today you walked into church. You want to be tempted? Last week, I told the early class, when you go into church, you know, be aware. Many of you are going to be tempted these next few weeks. You're going to have a crowded church. And a lot of you in my early class, they go in 7.30, 7.40 before the class starts, and they save their seats. They're all saved. You understand that? Some of the people in the class even take their glasses out. 
put their glasses. One guy takes his, his car keys, puts his car keys there. He told me after class last week, he went in, his car keys were missing, his glasses were missing, people were sitting in his seat. Oh, where, where am I? Oh, your keys here. Here's your keys. You want, need glasses? Here's your glasses. You know, and that's why I told them what they have to do from now on, you know, when you get here, and you can use this tip, and you can say that I told you. And, and you know, basically what it is, you get one of those shirt cardboards out of your shirt, you know, when you get it starch, and what you do is you write in big letters on the church, on the uh, cardboard, Hayes Wicker, and you put that on the seat. <laughs> the only thing is on the back end of the cardboard you have to write is my pastor. Got it? Hayes Wicker is my pastor. And that's what you need. But of course, this is what happens. So here's what happens. You innocently try to save a seat. You go into church. Your seat has been taken. Now you're not in the first. That happened here, right? That happened? This works better. This, is, this, works better? <laughs> this is what he says. Is my BLG teacher. That and two bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. But, I, I, but the point is, you walk into church. This sanctified atmosphere. And you go to get in your seat, and what happens? Satan knows it, right? He knows it, and there it is. Somebody's sitting in your seat. It's your seat. You saved it, and look, they're all there, and now you're 50 rows back. And now what? You're tempted. You're tempted. And now you're not thinking good thoughts. You're thinking evil thoughts, angry thoughts. And don't you think Jesus knew that about you? He knew that's how you're wired, and that's what this is all about. So, as we understand this lesson, we go back to say, this is not, God is not saying, forgive me so that I can be with you, Jesus, in eternity. This is not the forgiveness that you get in salvation. Understand this. When, God, when you're forgiven as a result of salvation, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are washed forever in the blood of Jesus Christ, God looks at you through the lens of Jesus Christ and he sees you fully justified forever. Amen? Let's never confuse that. This, however, this is really the act of walking with God. In an, walking with the Lord every day of your life in an evil world, surrounded by evil in every aspect of your life. In everywhere you go, everything that you hear is evil in this world. And now you're going to walk here, and your hands and your feet are going to be dirtied by evil. And now you need to be sanctified. You need to have the evil washed off you. And in order to do that, you need to have a daily, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer confessing to prayer, God, look at my heart, see my nature, forgive me for the words that I have. Lord, when I called him an ignoramus, and I did, I was, I, I was convicted about 15 seconds after. Lord, please, I'm sorry. Lord, I didn't mean it. Please forgive me. And that's what you need to do. You need to have 10,000 prayers a day. Amen? I'm telling you. And I mean, really, that's what this is about constantly asking God to put the searchlight of the Holy Spirit on how you are living, how you are speaking, what your relationships are about. And if you're not doing that, you will not have a successful relationship with Jesus Christ. You won't have it. 
And that's how Jesus has equated this prayer. And that's what's so beautiful, understanding how God understands how we are made, how we are hardwired. We are hardwired not to forgive. We're hardwired to seek revenge and to be angry and to be nasty, even with the people that love us. Oh, your wife, she gets up one day, who knows what happens, but some nuance, it's not even a word, it's some nuanced expression. You know what I mean by a nuanced expression? You really want to eat that? <laughs> really want to eat that? And you're thinking in your mind, she's telling me I'm fat. You see, you understand? And you're, all these things come up, and then before you know it, launch, boom, a word comes out, and, you're all, and this is somebody that loves you and cares about you. And now Jesus is telling you, You've got to act this way to the world, to the most despicable, unloving people. And that's the thing. This is where this lesson really, where the rubber hits the road. You know, it's easy to forgive somebody that says this, oh, Norm, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I should never have said that about you. I slandered you. I gossiped against you. Lord, Norm, forgive me. Oh, that's a forgiving, that's a contrite, broken man. But if instead, you know, Norm, I never liked you. I never cared for you. You were always arrogant, you know, and I never cared for you, and I'm glad. I'm glad. I love you, baby. You know, but I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you, I said those nasty things about you. And Norm goes, Lord Jesus, forgive, forgive him, Lord, for what he's saying. Whoa. When a guy can say that, that's what Jesus wants you to do. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can't do this in your own walk. You can't speak like this. The only way you can do it is with the Holy Spirit helping you. And here's the thing. When you see somebody who does that to you, who is mean to you, who's nasty to you, who is not loving, who is not forgivable, and yet they do something, here's how you have to look at. You have to see that person and see them surrounded by demons. I'm telling you. You want to find a way to forgive them? That's the only way you're going to forgive them. When you drive by that abortion clinic and your blood pressure gets up and you think about 50 million, 55 million babies being executed and you're angry and you wish something evil happened there, you have to look at it and see it encamped with demons. And so when you act like this, when you see people this way, knowing that people that are doing these things to you are evil, uh, inspired people by Satan, then you can pray in a whole different way. Lord, Take those evil influences away from these people. Lord, let them come to your understanding. Amen? It's a big, big difference. And so Jesus is teaching us really now how he wants us to live in our lives and how we need to live. And so we went through all these verses last week that related to all those issues about salvation and, and differentiating salvation from sanctification. Now we're going to see the paradigm of how God wants us to live, and it's in the example of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. This is the perfect analogy. And here's the thing. I want you to appreciate how beautiful this image is. Think of God himself, the creator, and we know that Jesus Christ, according to the Gospel of John, was the creative agent used by God 
to create this world. There he is, taking off his garments, wrapping a towel around himself, and stooping to wash the feet of the created beings. Can you imagine the sight of this? Can you just see it? Can you see how much God loves you? That this God who created you, who cares for you so much, loves you so much that he's forgiving your sins and washing your feet in an expression of love, telling you this is the extent of the love that I have for you. This is what separates us from the world. The world doesn't have this. So turn with me as we really drill down into this in, God, in John chapter 13. By the way, Norm, nobody would ever say that to you. I want you to know that. Nobody. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I love that verse. He now showed them the full extent of his love. This is how much I love you. Not the words, but I want you to see this. This is exactly the love I have. And as he's washing their feet, as he's washing their hands, he's now going to explain to them what this means. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and now was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I couldn't think of a more beautiful picture of love. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And we'll stop there. In other words, you're not even going to understand the aspect of what this means. You're going to see a physical washing, and you're not, going to, you're not going to realize that what I'm doing in a physical sense is extrapolated into a spiritual sense, and I am washing your hands and feet forever, every day of your life in this world when you come to see me. It's incredible, incredible uh, posture understanding as God speaks to us in this. And I love Peter because you can always uh, imagine that Peter will be there to say the inappropriate thing. It's just an amazing thing about how you, why you love Peter. Whatever is on his heart, whatever is in his heart, it immediately is launched out on his lips. He's a very transparent guy. And I think, and I love that about him. I love his transparency. And ultimately, one of the greatest Christians of all time, one of the top disciples. But you see here how he did not understand what Jesus was doing. And so what does he say? He says, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You, God yourself, you, God the creator, washing my feet, I will not allow it. Now, we, in one sense, we, we love the humility of the man, that he understood 
that he was in the presence of God. And yet, what we see is he didn't understand the spiritual aspect of what this was about and how this is all for Jesus. It's all about the spiritual life. Everything is about the spiritual life. And then continuing there right after in verse 8, halfway through, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Underline that verse. That's a critical verse. Unless this takes place, unless you come to me every day and confess your sins, and I wash them every day, I wash the evil off your hands and your feet. Unless you come to me and do this, I will have no part with you. We will not have an intimate relationship. I will not walk with you. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're saved. But now we're talking about the power of the walk in your life. What kind of ministry, what kind of efficacy will you have in this world? How will God use you? Where will your, where will your testimony be? I will have no part with you. And you see how important this is. And so Jesus now continues and explains what this means. Because right after that, I'll have no part with you. Well, then you can, Peter immediately again responds as, as you would a man would, would respond. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. If that's the case, then give me a full body wash. Lord, if this is what you're telling me, that in order for me to have a part with you, to you to be filled with, with me, then wash every part of me. I'm 100% in. Again, he didn't understand precisely the spiritual aspect of what's going on. Jesus responds, verse 10. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Not every one of you? What do you mean, Jesus? Well, Jesus knew that one of the twelve was not saved. One of the twelve had conspired with Satan and had betrayed Jesus. And it tells us in the next verse, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And so we see in verse 10, we understand the nature, the spiritual nature of the washing. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. Eleven of you are clean. Eleven of you have been saved. Eleven of you have given your heart to the Lord. Eleven of you have accepted me as your Lord and Savior. You have had a full bath. You do not need to have a bath. You've had that bath once. That's what salvation is. And by the way, don't confuse salvation with baptism. Baptism is your personal testimony to the world that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but baptism is not salvation. Salvation is very simply accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and was resurrected from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. That's the bath. That's the bath. All right? The baptism is the confirmation to the world that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, but the baptism is not the salvation experience. So let's not confuse this. Let's not confuse this. And so Jesus is telling them that when you have been saved, you are washed in the blood of my blood. 
But that doesn't negate the fact that while you've been washed in my blood, every day you get up and you go to the farmer's market. <laughs> or you go to the golf course. Or you go shopping. Or you're sitting down at breakfast with your wife. Or you go to church and you walk into church and your seat's taken. Look, we're going to multiply this a thousand times. You go to work and your coworker is there and says something negative and nasty about you. Or a neighbor. Or you get cut off in the street. And you know what it is. There's a thousand things going on. And these are the most simple evil things. And as you get, as, as, as you get used by God, the evil gets worse and worse. He wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you down. So don't be surprised that since you've committed yourself to coming to church more often and, and, and helping the church out and, and having a personal testimony, all of a sudden, oh, a lot of bad things are happening to me. Jesus, what's going on? That's right. Because he wants to keep you where you were in the muck and mire, out of play. Out of play. I don't want those Christians that are turning other people on. Those people, those people... I have a bullseye on them. So you understand what's going on here. And that's why Jesus is telling us this is how he expects us to conduct our life. Forgiving people. This is a hard lesson. Let me tell you, this is a hard lesson. It's hard to forgive unforgiving people. And so Jesus is making this point here. And so he continues on. All right. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and return to his place. Do you understand? This is in verse 12 now. Do you understand what I have done for you? Oh, what a question, Jesus. Can you imagine sitting there and having Jesus ask you that question? Do you know? Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am now that I am your Lord and teacher. Now that I, that I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So here's the standard. You are forgiving me a thousand times a day as I confess my sins, my transgressions, my thoughts, my words, my conduct, a thousand times a day, I'm going to you, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Protect me. Don't let me say this. Don't let me do this. And this is what's going on. And he's doing this. He's honoring that. He's expecting that the same time that you are doing that, that you, in your life, as you walk in the street, are doing the same to other people. Whoa. But he's Jesus. That's right. And he's called you to be his disciple. And that's the standard of conduct. He wants you, expects you, demands that you forgive others just the same way that you want God to forgive you. And what you're saying in that prayer is, Lord, if I'm not forgiving them, don't forgive me. Oh, Lord, that's a big prayer. That's a big prayer. Well, that's how exactly how important this issue is. And so you understand exactly why God is demanding this of us. How important, how critical in our walk is the issue of forgiveness. And so we're walking in an evil place. Dirt and dust and evil are going to come up on our hands. 
They're going to come up on our feet. And in every aspect of every single one of your lives, this is going to be a common expression. But now, God is telling you, you need daily intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ as you make this prayer. And you need this daily cleansing. And let me go further and say this. You do not need an intermediary in order to make this confession. You don't have to go to another man. You don't go to your minister in this. This is between you and Jesus Christ. On your knees, you seek God. You ask God. Yes, your, your, your BLG teachers and your ministers are there to help you and guide you and pray for you. But don't ever think you need to go to a, a man and confess a sin to a man. You confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what he's there. He's there at the right hand of God. That's what this is all about. Let's understand this. Let's get this theology straight. And we, you know, we, love, we love all kinds of people that may, not, that may not agree with us. But there's certain core issues. This is a core issue. Understanding exactly how God expects us to act. And so understanding this and, and really coming to terms with this, there is, as I've always done for you, I always look to show you an Old Testament example of what Jesus does. Because that's the thing about the scriptures. Jesus does something, and when Jesus does something, God has foreshadowed it a thousand years before. And he has foreshadowed this very day. This act, God has foreshadowed. Turn to Exodus chapter 29. And this is important because this is a confirmation. You say, well, I want to know, how do, I, how do I get a confirmation when I hear something, when I hear a message? What's the confirmation? The confirmation is that when somebody speaks to you about Scripture, you hear a verse, all right? And if it's, and if it's appropriately given to you, the Lord will give you a confirming verse. Not one taken out of isolation. It's one set of Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, one common theme, the common theme from Genesis to, Re to Revelation is Jesus Christ, Son of God, coming, coming for your sins, crucified for your sins. So now you see Gen Exodus chapter 29, and we're going to read verses 1 to 6, and this is the passage now where God is laying out to Moses what has to be done for the establishment of the priesthood, and that is Aaron and his family. All right? They will be the priests. And now God is laying out what needs to be done. Verse 1, Exodus 29, verse 1. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, the priests, so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from fine wheat flour without, without yeast, make bread and cakes mixed with oil and wafers spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it, along with the bull and the two rams. Then, verse 4, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Wash them with water at the time that they are being created as priests and being ordained as priests. In this ceremony, they need it to be washed from head to toe with water effectively mimicking what will take place through Jesus Christ 1,200 years later. They need to be saved, saved through the grace of our Lord and washed, and that's what the public washing is taking. Now, again, understanding that this is a foreshadowing, turn 
one, one chapter down the road, the chapter 30. Now they're priests. Now they're going to conduct the ceremonies. And now in verse 17, look what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Do you understand what's going on here? The foreshadowing of what would be done 1,200 years later is now taking place. And so God is saying, now the priests, even though they've been washed, but they're walking in evil. It's an evil world. They're surrounded by evil. So in order to come in into the high, the high holy place, they must be washed, their hands and their feet. The hands, the touching of evil, the feet, the walking in evil. And so you understand exactly how important this issue is and why there's a confirmation about it. Turn to Psalm 66. Again, Psalm 66. Verse 17. Psalm 66, verse 17. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Underline that verse. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. How many of us are cherishing sin in our heart? We have that little place reserved for that one person who has really hurt us bad. Hurt us bad. And we all have somebody like that. That one person that's done us wrong, hurt us, could be a family member, could be a, a child. Somebody who has done you really wrong and you've reserved that. It's right here. It's your little place. And you don't really tell anybody about it, but it's there. It's in your heart. You know about it. It's that 800-pound gorilla that you have that you will not really deal with because you've been hurt bad. And it's so impossible to forgive when somebody has hurt you that badly. And what you see here is God's telling you, you want me to answer your prayers? You want me to be in intimacy with you? You want to come to me and have the kind of relationship that you can come? Then you better give that 800-pound gorilla up you have that problem, you better come to me. You better show me that you have a forgiving nature. And here's the prayer that we have to make. We have to say, Lord, help me to forgive. Change my heart, Lord. It's so hard for me to forgive. And he understands that. He created you. Why do you think he made that prayer to drill down to you? The importance to you to understand you want to be forgiven? You better forgive every single day of your life. This is how you better conduct yourself. And you see what happens. And what happens here is when we don't forgive, we don't forgive, we build up what we call the strongholds in our life. These are the little places that are reserved for that, that area of sin. Revenge, anger, hurt. You fill in the adjective. We're all dealing with it. Every one of us is dealing with it. Turn with me 
to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul speaking on this very issue. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be, towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. We don't live by the standards of the world. We're living in an entirely different, higher standard. That's what this is about. The world would never understand this issue of forgiveness. Never. But we live in the Spirit. Verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Underline that. Divine power to demolish strongholds. That's the word of Jesus Christ. When you pray, when you speak to the Lord, when he gives you a word, when you are in communion, he is giving you the power to demolish those strongholds. Yes, but it's so hard. Yes, it's so hard, but he will help you. But if I don't give it up, if I don't put it before him, if I don't ask for help, how do you expect him to address it? And some of us have been living with, for this for decades with these issues in our heart. You know, I, I always hear this expression, well, I forgive, but I don't forget. What does that mean? I forgive, but I don't forget. Here's what that means. I don't forgive, and I don't forget. That's what it means. When you say, I forgive, but I don't forget. That's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, I don't forgive, and I remember. Because when you truly forgive, you have forgotten. That's what you have to ask the Lord Jesus to do for you, to take these strongholds out of, out of, your, out of your life. Verse 5 there, which says as follows, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and I love this next part, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. As you're praying in the state of intimacy to God 10,000 times a day, and these thoughts come into your head, as soon as that thought comes into your head, that evil impression, that evil that comes into your head, you make it captive to God. God, Take this thought away from me. Lord, address this thought. You're actually waging spiritual warfare inside your body through the grace of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what's going on? It's unbelievable how God has equipped us to do this. You don't just let all this evil come into your head, just come into your head and park itself in your body. What do you think you're going to do? You're going to be a, a, a sin factory. That's what's going to happen. But God is addressing this issue in your life. And look, this, this is an important understanding for us, that we have to understand why God has focused on this. And I, I believe that there's a couple issues that God is saying to us. Number one, you cannot appreciate the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross for you unless you do this. If you understand how hard it is to forgive people, then you will understand what it took for Jesus to get on that cross, that innocent person on that cross, God himself himself, 
the sin sacrifice for all humanity from all time on that cross for you. And you, who he had your name on his hand, you can't even forgive somebody in your path. You can't forgive him, but yet you want to get the full forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then you understand what grace is about. Grace, oh, Lord, that you would take me, this miserable dust, that you would take me and forgive me, that you would go to the cross for me and you understand it. And then you understand what it means about having strongholds in our lives. You understand all this and you realize why Jesus said to us, this is how you have to pray. And so as I bring this whole section to a close, I want to give you an example, a powerful example of forgiveness that really resonated with me. And it's about Corey Tenboom. And Corey Tenboom was a, a young girl that she and her sister were imprisoned by the Germans in a concentration camp during World War II. Were brutally beaten, brutalized in every possible way. Corey Tenboom became a committed Christian spokesman. And so I want to read to you this passage that actually happened in her life. And I think it really summarizes the essence of what we are about, what we're trying to teach, and how I would love to see all of us live our lives. One of the best stories I've ever heard about the struggle to forgive was told by Corey Tenboom, who had been incarcerated in one of the worst concentration camps in Germany during the Second World War. Many years after that horrendous experience, she met for a second time one of the most cruel, heartless German guards she had ever known. He had humiliated and degraded her and her sister. He had jeered and visually raped them as they stood in the delousing shower. The former guard was among the audience at one of her Christian meetings and at one of her talks. Now the man stood before her with hand outstretched. Will you forgive me? He asked. Corey writes, I stood there with coldness clutching at my heart. But I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I pray Jesus help me. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder, raced down into my arms, and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. I don't think there's a better picture that you can get of how God wants you to live your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the lessons that you teach us. Lord, these are hard lessons. Lord, we want to forgive, but you know how difficult it is. 
how our DNA rebels. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us develop this intimate relationship with you that thousands of times a day we come to you and confess our inadequacies and confess our sins and ask you to intervene in our lives and develop this forgiving nature, Lord, because we want, at the end of the day, we want to be the kind of Christian you want us to be. Lord, I ask you to touch all these dear people and allow them to continue to walk in this type of light. Now, Lord, I ask you to protect them this coming week, wherever they go, and to bring them back safely for continuing study. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.